Make home your favorite new restaurant this spring with Omaha Steaks delivered straight to your door. Have you ever wondered what makes Omaha Steaks so good? It's the aging process. Omaha Steaks are aged at least 21 days. That's where the magic happens. Try these mouth-watering steaks in the Butcher's Best Sellers package. Go to omahasteaks.com, enter the promo code VOICES into the search bar, and save over 50% and secure exclusive pricing. Included in the Butcher's Best Sellers package are four iconic fork-tender Butcher's Cut Filet Mignons, four ultra-juicy burgers, four savory pork chops, four kielbasa sausages, four rich and decadent caramel apple tartlets. Yum, I love those. And so much more. In addition to getting more than 50% off, you'll also get four more chicken breasts and four more of those delicious burgers for free. All you have to do is visit omahasteaks.com and type voices in the search bar to order the Butcher's Best Sellers package today. Save over 50%, plus get four free chicken breasts and four burgers, all from the company that's been bringing people together for over 100 years. That's omahasteaks.com and type voices in the search bar. Welcome to the Start Me Up podcast, part of the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. I'm Kimberly Johnson, still quarantined in D.C., but almost, almost ready, almost ready to go enjoy the world. Not vaccinated yet. My returning guest today is Jared Yates Sexton. I love him. We have this great conversation about white supremacy. It's really good, and Jared offers solutions, so be sure to listen. I always try to keep these intros short, but I do have a new tier on Patreon that allows listeners to listen ad-free and intro-free. So I will get into that in a second, make sure you go to patreon.com slash startmeup to find out. The Start Me Up podcast is an independent podcast supported by listeners and it's woman run. Patrons keep this show going, so thank you so much for that. If you enjoy today's show, take a look at the about page. Check out some of my past guests. You'll see most of the time I have conversations about politics. Occasionally I interview actors because I used to be one and I love talking to actors. Here's what I do. I do two free shows a week, Mondays and Wednesdays, and then I follow those with my What's Up segment for patrons only where I just talk about whatever I feel like talking about. Sometimes it's politics, sometimes it isn't. That is a tier that is $5. But either way, again, go to patreon.com slash start me up. You'll see all the different tiers. I do the two free shows. I do the two what's up shows right after that. I do one patrons only show at least per month with a guest. And then I offer that tier that gives you everything I just mentioned. Plus you get the shows ad free and intro free. You can also make a one-time donation by checking out the text in the Patreon description. I always include my email address, and you can use that with PayPal. And you can find Start Me Up on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are found. Just stop by the iTunes app, Apple Podcast Store, and become a subscriber. It's free. And while you're there, please rate the show and leave a review because I always need it. And thank you for everybody who has. Now, please enjoy my conversation with Jared Yates Sexton. Welcome back to the show, Jared. Hey, thanks for having me. I love having you because you're just... You're the truth teller. You're one of my favorite truth tellers. So thank you. Thank you so much for being here. <laughs> well, that's incredibly kind. I, I, I enjoy this every time we do it. Oh, well, before we have our conversation, I do want to just point out many of you probably already know, but Sherry Jacobus, who's been a guest on the show many times, has had a diagnosis of cancer. And it's really scary because she doesn't know where the original tumor is. And I think today, this week, whatever it is, there's going to be tests for that. So I started up a GoFundMe, and I have included a link in the text of this Patreon description. You can also find it all over my Twitter feed. 
um, the main reason that she needs money is because she was robbed of her livelihood when she refused to work for the Trump campaign. Long story short, Joe, uh, was it Don Jr. had tweeted some crap about her and she just had a really hard time. So she's going to have to go through all these tests and she's going to have to hire like an in-home nurse and all that stuff. So she needs quite a bit and I got the GoFundMe. So I just wanted everyone to be aware. Okay, Jared, I'm all yours now, or you're all mine. I should say. <laughs> I get to, I get to ask you all kinds of questions. And, you know, I just want to say that, um, for ever since Joe Biden won, people who have been guests on my show, I've kind of posed the same question. Where do you feel like things are going? And, and of course, I always express my worry and concern because I'm seeing white supremacy every time I turn around. And you've been tweeting and writing about that. I definitely want to get to that. But you, you have a very realistic sense of what's going on. And as much as we're all happy and celebratory that Joe Biden did win, and frankly, I think has passed, they, you know, the Democrats passed some amazing legislation. It could have been better. We could have had that $15 minimum wage, which I think should be 25 But hey, we'll take what we can get right now, and hopefully we can prog progress in the future. But all that said, there are still very ugly and dark forces that are just everywhere you look in American politics. And what I really like about you is that you talk about it. And not only do you talk about it, you, you offer ways to rise above it. But, you know, I read last week that white supremacist propaganda efforts nearly doubled in 2020. And you said on Twitter, this makes a whole lot more with white supremacy. It makes a whole lot more sense when you realize Republicans have never really believed in any of their espoused principles. And they were just effective to culture, uh, I'm sorry, and that they were just effective cudgels to protect white supremacy and patriarchal supremacy. So I just want you to elaborate on that because it's really kind of freaking me out. Yeah, so we have to do a couple things here. First and foremost, um, you know, I, I, I have my problems with Joe Biden. I was very, very proud to vote for him mm -hmm. uh, against Donald Trump. I think it was pretty amazing that the American people rejected Donald Trump. I think <laughs> yeah. that is uh, that's an incredible victory. Yes. To be honest, uh, simply for the rejection of Trump. But I, I and I and I want to go ahead and give kudos where I will give kudos. Uh, the Biden administration, in some ways, has been more progressive and effective than I expected them. To right. Be. Yeah. Uh, there are still Same. problems. Mm -hmm. uh, we could sit here and talk about those all day. But I think the really important thing to point out is that even though we have moved past the Trump administration, one of the things that does not change is that Trump was a symptom. He mm -hmm. was not the disease. Mm -hmm. And the more that I look at it and the more that other experts in fascism and white supremacy and extremism look at it, the more it's becoming obvious that Trump was a harbinger of mm -hmm. something bigger. Yeah and uh, a, a larger problem. And what we're actually seeing now, and, and the problem is that Americans are very bad at being able to hold multiple ideas at <laughs> once. We, we want things to be black or white, good yeah. or bad. And um, in that pursuit, we are losing sight of the fact that there is a, um, a, a rising tide of white supremacy in this world. And by that, I don't, obviously white supremacy is, you know, riddled through society and power structures mm -hmm. um, since there were societies and power structures, but we're talking about a new defensive and aggressive strain of white supremacy that honestly 
it reflects more the rise of fascism and aggressive white supremacy in the early 20th century hmm. that would lead to fascism and Nazism than anything else. Wow. And they are growing larger and stronger. Mm -hmm. uh, it is. It has not only infected American politics, but it has completely taken over the Republican Party mm -hmm. uh, to the point where it's no longer a political party anymore. Yeah. Uh, it is a PR front for white supremacy and, and corporate power at this point. And what we're dealing with, unfortunately, is a rise of illiberal democracy that puts all of us not just at danger, but also really threatens to change the world in a way that I don't think most people are prepared for or have an understanding of yet. Okay, so you need to elaborate on that. <laughs> yeah, so um, what, one of the things that um, it, it takes a minute to sort of get into it, but mm -hmm. more or less, we're at a moment of, of crisis. And mm -hmm. by crisis, basically, I mean that to embody sort of an umbrella term for multiple crises that are all interlocking and inform one another and worsen one another. Um, we have an economic crisis. And not just in um, unbelievable inequality, which also spurs radicalism, right, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and, and can lead to terrorism, paramilitary groups, fascism, which, you know, a lot of people think fascism just sort of rises up out of nowhere, right. know, like, a, like a vampire rising up from a grave. It just happens. <laughs> Um, but it is actually a mobilization and radicalization of disaffected, particularly white young men. Mm -hmm. And when they don't have anything better to do and when they lose their sense of power, there's almost always somebody there to tell them there's an armband to put on or a uniform to put on and that they are very powerful. Um, that is one problem, but we have also reached an economic crisis where capitalism has sort of reached its its apex in hypercapitalism. Um, it has to grow. Mm -hmm. It has to always and continually grow. And eventually when it can't grow any longer, what happens is you have to have some sort of a war or a conflict that allows it to grow or allows one country to take over another country. Um, we've seen this over and over again. Mm -hmm. But we also have another problem, which is that white supremacy uh, is losing ground. Uh, we're seeing an ascendance of people of color and people who aren't necessarily in the white patriarchal supremacy. We're seeing uh, women who are who are gaining more and more independence, mm -hmm. uh, fighting for their right to be heard and to be recognized. Uh, you know, black indigenous people of color are, are you know, fighting constantly um, and gaining traction. And people mm -hmm. like with the with the spotlight of new media, it is obvious that racism and homophobia and all these things are absolutely terrible. Mm -hmm. um, meanwhile, white supremacists and their resulting political projects like the Republicans are increasingly unpopular. Uh, <laughs> yeah. They're, they're outnumbered. And that outnumbered, outnumberedness is growing and growing and growing. And it's not like they're going to say, hey, we really need to rethink our political project. <laughs> right. <laughs> their, their answer is to destroy democracy yeah. as we know it. And with all of these sort of intermingling things, not even counting the looming uh, climate catastrophe, which is going mm -hmm. to, if, I mean, if we think the um, refugee crisis of the moment is bad, right. it's going to get worse. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what happens when we make those people inhuman or disposable? We end up mm -hmm. having, you know, things like genocides mm -hmm. and mass actions against them. Um, and 
on top of it, just to go ahead and put just a beautiful cherry on top of this ship Sunday. <laughs> um, the, the white supremacists that we're talking about have started to really come together and work on a joint project. There is an international neo-fascistic white supremacist project underway, including people like Steve Bannon, mm -hmm. who are creating uh, fascist academies around the world. We also have white supremacist terrorists who are sharing information. They are collaborating from America mm -hmm. you know, to every corner of the globe. Um, and on top of that, what we are seeing right now, and I'm not sure if you've been paying attention to this, but it is uh, really striking. Uh, we are seeing white supremacist projects like the Republican Party are starting to align and identify more and more with liberal democracies mm -hmm. such as Russia yep. and the reign of Vladimir Putin. Mm -hmm. This isn't a coincidence. This is what happens. And we've seen this before, and, and most people don't like to talk about this, but it's like, in America, there have been fascistic movements since there was an America. Yeah. And, you know, like around World War II, there were a lot of Americans who wanted to go into the war on the side of Germany and Italy. And you start seeing these um, alliances start to grow. And with the threat of economic and uh, climate catastrophes, mm -hmm. and not to mention economic catastrophes, that makes the possibility of all of this exploding very, very high. Wow. That's just a lot to chew on. I mean, like I, I listen to you and I'm like going down about all the horrible things and then, oh, we're outnumbering them. And then you're like, oh, my, that's a lot. But this is why I like talking to you, because you have such an amazing grasp on this. And I'm just wondering um, what. OK. Uh, this is this. I feel embarrassed about asking this question because it seems so juvenile. But I mean, what can we do? Yeah, I mean, so here, so let's go ahead and let's get this out of the way. That is a lot. That is, and, 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 you know, as I was saying it, it was like trying to get all of it out in the most concise manner possible, but you also find yourself right. even trying to describe it. You start running out of breath and you realize that words aren't even sufficient in trying to talk about it. Yeah. And when you start, um, you know, and I'm sure there are people who are listening who feel like this too. Mm -hmm. When I feel demoralized or panicked, it's when it's not just one problem. It's right. so many problems. Yes. Yes. Right. And those so many problems um, coalesce into a larger weight, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. You could take one on if that was yeah. all you were going to do. But when it's that large mountain, it's impossible to move. Um, the answer to that, much like the answer when it comes to mental health and depression and demoralization, is to take it one step at a time. Mm -hmm. um, the, the important mm -hmm. thing to understand is that um, reality and the way that the world works is not set in stone. It's incredibly malleable. Mm -hmm. And what we actually find is that projects like the one that we're discussing, um, this illiberal democracy and the pursuit of uh, continued white supremacy and hypercapitalism, these projects are not just unpopular, but when people actually discover what they are and what they do and how they work, they are rejected mm -hmm. and defeated. Hmm. Um, the, the big thing that we have to do, first and foremost, is to understand that these threats exist. Mm -hmm. We were talking a little bit about this before I began recording, which is 
a lot of people feel like things are perfectly fine right now. And, <laughs> <No>. you know, <laughs> it's, <laughs> and, 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 and honestly, it's important to point out that there are these periods in American history where people are like, oh man, everything's solved. We mm-hmm. don't really have to worry about things anymore. You know, um, if we can just live in this sort of like uh, paradisical moment, we're totally fine. The <laughs> first answer is to understand that, no, we're not out of the woods by any stretch of the imagination and to educate ourselves. About right. This. Yeah. When you start actually understanding what's going on, that makes it understandable mm-hmm. and possibly manageable. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of steps that we can take personally, whether or not it is um, organizing, simply reaching out to other people and fighting against the idea of atomization and repairing relationships and trust. Mm-hmm. But also we have to work to we really have to start rejecting some of the more poisonous elements that have led to this. Uh, our society of spectacle mm-hmm. where we're just interested in big giant entertaining things as opposed yeah. to um, again organizing or legislation or things that actually make the world better um, but there are there are a ton of elements that we can do and I always boil it down into um, three steps um, and and this is kind of pithy but it, it you know whatever <laughs> the first the first step is to get educated Mm-hmm. to understand what's going on, wrap your mind around it so you can have a decent idea of where we are. The second step is to get pissed off <laughs> because, because quite frankly, the people that we're talking about have exploited us yes. over and over mm-hmm. and over again. These are the people that make sure that you don't have health care. Mm-hmm. These are the people who make sure that your roads are crumbling. These are the people that have made sure that your family members live shorter lives mm-hmm. And that we live in this demoralizing economy, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Where Mm -hmm. you can never possibly get ahead and you're just really wearing yourself out. But finally, it's to get organized and it's to talk to other people about this so you can have a common understanding and engage in solidarity. And when there's more than one of you, all of a sudden lifting mountains doesn't seem as hard. Hmm. Wow. That Yeah, that's really important because it's just, you know, for instance, today I had to take my car in because of my battery. And I had a feeling when I first found this um, car repair guy, I I thought, I bet he's Republican. I wonder if he's a Trump supporter. And I I have a tendency to talk a lot (laughs) when I'm out and about, like when I'm at the grocery store, I just start up conversations. So, you know, I mean, he and I have talked a little bit about what I've done, what I do for a living and, and whatnot. So today, when I was just explaining what was going on with my car, he mentioned, he's like, don't you do something with radio? And I, I explained Ooh. it. So, um, so I said, he said something. Oh, I told him about the fact that I, I had started this GoFundMe for a friend of mine. And he, he said, I think, and I said, you know, she used to be a Republican. Now she's an independent. And he goes, oh, so she didn't, she didn't, I can't remember exactly the words he used, but something like she didn't follow the emperor. And I said, so you mean Trump? And he said, yes. He goes, I'm a staunch Republican, but I don't like Trump. And so that kind of opened the door. And I explained to him that I actually did this GoFundMe with Joe Walsh, who they knew who that was. You know, he's a conservative libertarian who's a never Trumper. And Joe and Sherry know each other. And so I kind of did it just because it was I did it. I had I, I told them that because I figured that they were Republican and A, it's my car. <laughs> I don't know what they're going to do to it. But I also figured, you know what, the the experiences and the times that I've spent, you know, talking to these guys who own this little dink repair shop, um, you know, we've had a nice time. 
we, we I I always had a good time. They've been very nice to me. I feel they've been honest with me. Anyway, I've I looked at it as an opportunity to kind of you know I brought up the fact I said look I'm a liberal. These two are conservative, but I you know I think it's really important that because like Joe and I had a debate. I didn't tell them this, but Joe and I had a debate about abortion not too long ago, and. You know, I, 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 I think I won the debate because he pretty much said that I did. But my goal was not to win. My goal was to say, look, we can be conservatives and liberals and have different ideas about things, really huge different ideas about things, but not hate on each other. And, and so it's like I wanted to kind of throw that out there to these two men who one of them, I don't know what his political affiliation is, but the other one said straight up that he was a Republican. But still, it was like, look, we we are a country that has to all live together. And what I found from them, and I mean, they're in a business situation, so they want my money. And they're, you know, maybe going to talk to me differently than they might talk to me if that wasn't the case. But they were in agreement. And, and it's like, so I was thinking of them when you were talking about, you know, broaching this with um, other people and how could you like, I mean, obviously I'm not saying let's all go walk down to our car repair shop and start talking about rights of white supremacy. I mean, I, I don't expect that to happen. Well, I, so I, I'll, I'll throw two examples out there, but they're, they're two of the same ends. One is a lot less stakes than the second one. Um, first and foremost, like it, it, it's the kind of thing where like the dichotomous system of, of our politics is really poisonous, mm-hmm. right? That we have two parties and you believe your party is perfect and the other person's is totally, totally evil. Even though the Republican party is absolutely drowned in the fascistic yeah. abyss at this yeah. point. And in that sort of dichotomous polar nature of it leads to what I call trench warfare, which is where two sides sort of dig in and then they just sort of throw headlines at each other, Mm -hmm. which um, is incredibly advantageous to people in power Mm -hmm. because it makes sure that people are having conversations about what they choose for them to talk about. And it leads to stalemates where there's no ability whatsoever for people to challenge power. Well, so for instance, um, you know, a lot of it is like, sports now um if i'm a fan of one team and another person is a fan of another team let's say that it's you know baseball teams we're not going to have a discussion about our teams and decide that the other team is better you know after (laughs) we spent our entire lives (laughs) buying merchandise of one team and basing a lot of our personality on that yeah (laughs) but i will say that you can have a conversation with another sports fan and suddenly you can have a talk about you know, I used to really like going to those games, but it's too expensive anymore. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Yes. And all of a sudden it's like, that's right. It really, yes. really is. Like, how are, how are people supposed to take their families get, to mm-hmm. go do that, right? And suddenly you're starting to have a conversation outside of that trench warfare thing. Mm-hmm. And suddenly you're having a conversation about power, mm-hmm. right? You're having a conversation about how these things sort of are, are used against us. Mm-hmm. The second thing is I would say, and I'm, I'm glad that you brought up and, and you sort of did it within the same paragraph there. You brought up the subject of abortion mm-hmm. and white supremacy. Right, well, yes. Here's an important thing to bring up. And this goes back to the get educated, get pissed off, and get organized conversation. So the 
the discussion of abortion has become one of the most polarizing topics mm -hmm. in the entire history of, of modern American politics, right? Well, what a lot of people don't understand, because the Republican Party has obviously used abortion to uh, consolidate power mm -hmm. and to consolidate its base among evangelicals and Christians mm -hmm. and, and sort of make its own little base, right, that is based on um, a so-called morality war. Right. Right. Of, of abortion. Well, what a lot of people don't know, and this is intentional, is that the animating influence of the modern Republican Party is not abortion. Abortion was a cover story for the defense of white supremacy, mm. because what actually happened with the 1950s and 1960s was not just, um, you know, the civil rights movement, but also with desegregation is that that is what brought together the Republican Party, the South, and the evangelical base, is that they were actually fighting against desegregation. And if you actually go back and look at people like Jerry Falwell and that sort of evangelical base, their sermons are all about how God has drawn a line of distinction, right? Mm -hmm. And you actually look at like anti-government policies among the Republican Party, talking about small government, talking about individual rights, those are actually discussions about white supremacy. Those are actually discussions about segregation, mm -hmm. which is saying that the government should not be in people's businesses. It shouldn't be in the schools. In fact, if you even want to take it a step further, that's one of the reasons why they're trying to destroy public education. Yeah. They're trying to do it so that private education can get away <laughs> from the government and reinstall segregation yeah. on the wow. private level. Well, Here's the problem. Eventually, in American culture, even racist get to the point where most of them don't even know that they're racist, mm -hmm. right? All of a sudden, they're like, no, I'm not a racist. I tell it like it is, which yeah. we just had a president like that, yeah. right? And the American right and the Republican Party suddenly realize that those old white supremacist arguments don't hold a lot of water. They they don't they don't they don't work on the mm -hmm. public. People don't want to go to the polls and vote for white supremacy. Well, the other part of this story is that abortion was settled. Like it was yeah. just a well understood thing in America that a majority of Americans were like, Yeah, abortion should be legal. Mm -hmm. It should be a person's right to use. Well, eventually it was used, again, as a cudgel to go ahead and divide people, create a moral war, and also strike back against women during the era of, of the ERA, right? And yeah. suddenly this becomes the cover story that actually hides white supremacy. Wow. It's actually the more palatable argument that goes ahead and replaces the old um, sort of disgusted argument that people don't want to believe, which is why, again, the Republican Party is the political party of people who are fighting for continued white supremacy, and many of them don't know that they're actually fighting right. for continued white supremacy, but they have the ideology of it yes. because of, quote-unquote, colorblind politics or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, you can have a conversation about abortion that doesn't make it that moral trench warfare right. conversation, you can actually go ahead and say, hey, just to let you know, this is why we're having this argument. Here's the actual argument that we're having. And suddenly you're beyond those trenches and you're having a discussion about power. Hmm. And then suddenly it takes the morality out of it and you're suddenly having a conversation about why someone is manipulating them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, I got to say, in, in my conversation debate with Joe Walsh, 
I understood going in that, um, you know, he's a Catholic and he's basing his, his idea about abortion on what he considers to be life. And I was fortunate enough to watch, there was a debate between um, a gynecologist who was talking to a guy from, he was like a conservative guy, and they were talking about abortion. And so when the idea came up about life, she's like, well, that's a philosophical a philosophical debate because, you know, you might think it starts at this time and I might think it starts at this time and blah, 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 blah. And, and no matter what the science says, um, you know, the, the, the woman, the gynecologist argued about the fact that, you know, the woman's life is at risk. And so, uh, I can't, uh, I wish I could remember exactly the way she said it, but it was like, at what point does the fetus's life, you know, trump the mother's life, which the, the mother's life, the fetus depends on that mother's life in order to go on. So anyway, in this conversation, like I said, I mean, I, I, I wish that you were there <laughs> to talk about this because I wouldn't know how to pull him out of it's a life, it's a life, it's a life. I, I want to protect life. And I will say this. I disagree with him a hundred percent. He even thinks that if you're raped, that you should be, if it were, he said, if it was his own daughter and she were raped, he would still want her to carry through with the pregnancy, which I told him I thought was torturous and abhorrent, but, but I don't think it comes from a place of him wanting to control Honestly, what I think is he's been sold this bill of goods and he buys into it so deeply because his religion tells him that this is life. How do you how do you talk to someone like that and pull them out of this is about life and into this is about control? I mean, that is that's the sixty four thousand. Yeah, question. really. <laughs> I mean, it, it's a combination of things. And again, I, I think one of the problems here is having a conversation about having a conversation, <laughs> right? So on, on one hand, I, it's really, really important to point out that, you know, when you actually read about the people who have talked about being pro-life the most, it's really, really important to point out that like when the cameras are off and mm -hmm. when they're, you know, backstage talking to each other, yeah. history has shown that, by the way, it's like Ronald Reagan even said himself that he never had an intention of making abortion illegal. Mm -hmm. They don't actually want to repeal. They want yeah. to go ahead and get political votes and fundraising based on offering a repeal while going on the state level and making it to where people can't get it. Wow. Well, right? That's an interesting because point. Okay. Because the honest to God truth is if tomorrow they went ahead and just repealed Roe v. Wade, this country would erupt unlike anything that we've ever seen. Before. That's true. It would it would have to be the absolute last step in a Republican right-wing takeover of the country. They would have to have everything put together in such a way that they hmm. could contain the rage. Wow, right? interesting. They okay. would much rather go ahead and go into individual states, particularly red states, mm -hmm. and go in and make sure that the people in the red states or even sort of like moderate states would not be able to access abortion, which is what they're currently yeah, doing. Yeah, and they've been successful. Right. Yeah. Right. And and even Reagan went on the record. Somebody said to him, you know, when are you going to repeal Roe v. Wade? He's like, do you think I'm crazy? I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. It's an incredible, and, and by the way, it's important to point out that this was also like an incredible political strategy yeah. to go ahead and unite evangelicals 
and Catholics. Mm -hmm. This was a large, large part of that. And I would also have a conversation about the fact that a lot of the story, particularly of the 20th century and the right wing within the United States, has been about trying to make these constant changing um, confederations of whiteness. Mm -hmm. And if you actually look at history, um, this idea of whiteness is incredible, right? Mm -hmm. Because it originally was just like Anglo-Saxons and that was it. You know, it was, it was like this little cluster of people. And then all of a sudden the numbers started shifting and they were like, Oh, all of a sudden these Irish people that we have treated terribly and these Italians that we've treated terribly, suddenly they're very white. They're right. white. They're with us. Right. Yeah. And all of a sudden you see the evangelical spheres start to bring in uh, Catholics under this entire thing. What I would point out is to have a conversation about how, people have arrived at their point, mm -hmm. right? So like, for instance, if I'm disagreeing with somebody about a political topic, um, I don't want to trade, um, I don't want to trade talking points because we've all heard them. Yeah. Everything that you just sort of went through is sort of how a lot of these debates go. Yeah. And it goes along theoretical constructs. Like if, if this happened to my daughter, I would make her do it, which is like, oh God, that's ugly, right? right? I would rather have a conversation and say, why is this important to you? Mm -hmm. And when you ask a person why a political issue is important to them, suddenly you start realizing that a lot of their politics is an expression of self. <laughs> it is an expression of who they are or who they want to be or who they want the world to see them as. Mm -hmm. And when you start to sort of work your way through that, all of a sudden you can have a discussion about having a discussion. And I think you can sort of come in a side door sometimes mm -hmm. and you can find a sort of common ground that isn't available on, oh, God, what are those old terrible shows? Crossfire, mm -hmm, right? right? Yeah. Or, or, you know, one of these like political debate shows, because the truth is, and people don't like to admit this. Politics is not just politics. Politics is a really, really complicated um, sort of world where we wrestle with who we are and what we think about the world and, and what we want the world to see in us. And we get our idea of self caught up in it, and it has kept us from being able to have actual conversations about reality as it is. Wow. Oh, my God. I mean, you're just so, you're like this fountain of knowledge. <laughs> oh, God, I don't know about all that. You, you are. I, I really appreciate everything that you bring to the table because it, it helps me understand it. And I think, you know, I can't speak for my listeners, but I know that at least many of them are nodding along and going, wow, yeah, just like I am. <laughs> um, well, but I, I would just say real fast while, yeah. while we're on this subject, I think it's really important to go ahead. And I should have already mentioned this. For people to understand Trumpism mm -hmm. and what it represents in this threat that we're talking about, um, it, it needs to go ahead and be said that when you actually talk to people who support Trump, and it is a completely illogical thing for a lot of these people to support Trump, mm -hmm. right? Yes, it is. Um, you know, and, and by the way, there are a lot of people it was dead on right for them to support Trump because mm -hmm. he aligned with their ideologies, right? Mm -hmm. Racism, hypercapitalism, um, all of this stuff. Yeah. Like he was a he was a great avatar for a lot of people. But then you have other people who support him and suddenly you start to realize that much like like I was saying about like a sports team, mm -hmm. yes. Trump their support of Trump was about telling the world who they wanted to be. Mm -hmm. 
it wasn't just that they wanted to be rich like Trump, although that is part of it. Mm -hmm. But Trump's whole, you know what, I'm telling it like it is, uh, political correctness is for weakness or whatever it is he mm -hmm. would say, was about telling, like, especially with white men and mm -hmm. insecure white men, it was about telling the world that they were tough and strong and, and they weren't at all weak. Mm -hmm. And how dare you say they're weak? And a lot of this, again, has to do with people projecting out into the world based on their political beliefs or associations that they are something besides what they actually are internally. There's a lot of, um, um, you know, Cartesian sort of projection going on here. There's a lot of, a lot of weird interaction between the internal and the external that um, I, I, I think a lot of people kind of look over. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think also just adding to what you were said when, I mean, Trump, like you said, is a symptom. He didn't start all of this, but uh, he would say the quiet parts out loud which for the like kind of for the first time, I mean, we were seeing stuff like that happening in the Tea Party prior to Trump. And I mean, we're always seeing an escalation, but still he kind of was so he was so bombastic and he was so I don't give a fuck what you think and I'm going to say whatever I want. And it made other people feel like I can do that, too. And I, I just I see that, you know, it's like it's a tribal thing because there is that group uh, group, but it's like the two women who run Chicks on the Right they did not like Donald Trump when he was the candidate, but then it's kind of like that sports team analogy because as soon as he became part of the team, they were all in to the point where they have like a cutout, a cardboard cutout of him in their studio. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. And they didn't like him at first. They just, they, you know, I mean, they were, they were trying to, please their listeners and their you know and their and their audience so i could see where they were walking that line but it was very clear they did not like him they didn't want him to be the nominee but then boom he becomes the nominee and they got right behind him because it was very tribal and very sports like and it was you know again cut out uh, a cardboard cut out it was just freakish and and on that note i'll just point out that never ever underestimate particularly in america the effect that marketing niches play into all yes. of this which is and and you know um rush limbaugh who recently departed this yes. mortal coil um this was a person who is a, a wonderful example of this and so was trump right i think they're actually cut from the same mm -hmm. uh, piece of paper these were people who didn't actually believe the things that they yes. said yeah but they recognized how much money they could make yes. from saying these things and so what we actually have in this country is a weird system where you have people who are recognizing more and more how much money there is to be made by going ahead and trumpeting these things that they don't even necessarily believe. Mm -hmm. And then eventually over time, because they keep trumpeting it, they start to actually believe, believe what they're it. telling yeah. people. Yeah. Um, another great example of this, of course, is Alex Jones, mm -hmm. who has no idea what he actually believes from one moment or from, from another and has gotten so lost in his own lies wow. and profit schemes <laughs> that he has confused himself from his fictional self. Wow. Um, and we, we, so we've reached this point in this country where profit motives have completely altered our, um, our system of, mm -hmm. of government and politics to the point, and let's go ahead and bring it around um, to current times we now have an iteration of the Republican Party that makes its money and gains its power solely 
off of being trolls. Right. Yes. They have. They, and, and here's what I was saying in that tweet the other day. The Republican Party actually doesn't believe in any of its espoused <laughs> ideologies. It's not for small government. They're no. for government being in everything. Mm-hmm. They're not for fiscal responsibility. When they're in charge, they run up deficits worse than anybody. Mm-hmm. They're not pro-military. They've sold the military out. I've lost track of how many times. Um, They're not pro-America. They're rooting for Vladimir Putin over the president of the United States of America. They're not pro-life. They're not interested in, you know, helping people to live. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, in in the pandemic, they were shoveling people into a generational uh, disease. The whole point, though, is that you now have a group of people like your Marjorie Taylor Greens, mm-hmm. your Ted Cruz's, um, Crenshaw does this, Bobert does this, that they basically have become grifters and avatars who go out, they espouse right-wing talking points, like extremist right-wing mm-hmm. talking points, conspiracy theories. Um, I mean, my God, this Dr. Seuss thing was incredible. Right, yeah. Um, and by the way, I would be remiss if I didn't mention, while on the Dr. Seuss point, the insanity of this, mm-hmm. which is that, those Dr. Seuss books were pulled from production by the Seuss company. Yes. It wasn't Joe Biden making a right, speech. Right, exactly. It wasn't Ocasio-Cortez <laughs> calling it out. The Seuss company decided to pull those books. And the right made it a cause celebrate so much yeah. that they made 10 of the Seuss company's books bestsellers, meaning <laughs> that they went ahead and gave their money to the people that supposedly canceled exactly. the thing they wanted. Which is, it's an incredible snake eating its own tail. But what we currently have with the Republican Party is a group of people who have no plan whatsoever to make the world better. Their only plan is to go ahead and gum up the works Mm -hmm. of government while continuing to make money and gaining power off of trolling. And that only leads in one direction. It goes ahead and it corresponds with this rising authoritarianism and Mm -hmm. white supremacy that we're talking about. Those two things come together because eventually all of those motivations come together and they turn into violence Mm -hmm. and they turn into oppression. Yeah. Wow. You know, I just want to touch on something really briefly, because in in a lot of my podcasts, specifically the ones that are for patrons only, I've talked about that I'm currently working on deliberate manifestation because, you know, we all kind of manifest our lives and the way we think and how we how we see ourselves and who we believe we are and what we can accomplish. And and then, you know, we just think certain things and the thoughts create feelings and the feelings create actions. And that's what manifests. And so when you said that um, these, you know, right-wingers like Donald Trump or Rush Limbaugh were saying things they don't even believe, but after a while, they really start to believe them. I think that was so fascinating because it's it's kind of what I'm doing, but in a reverse situation because I'm not spouting racism and all of that. It's, <laughs> it's like I'm using it for positive things and not negative things. But it's it's fascinating to me how people can and this is just kind of an aside i just have to throw it out there but it's like fascinating to me that people are able to almost it's like a brainwashing uh, you brainwash yourself you know you you tell yourself certain things about who you are and what you believe and if you just keep repeating it over and over and over and over and over again eventually you do start thinking that way which i just i i think that's so fascinating and i wish there was a way that we could because there's like the collective um, opinion or, you know, there, 
every night I have dinner and then I get on Twitter and I look around and, and I, I have a different perspective. I always call it my after dinner Twitter. It's more of a relaxing time. And, and I always kind of come to the same conclusion of I wish that there was a way that we could all just realize, like as far as white supremacists or as far as somebody like Trump, I believe they need to be shunned. Uh, I believe our society needs to make people who are racist or sexist or bigoted or whatever feel as if they, I mean, we can never make them not sexists or racist. I mean, we can't change the way people think and feel, but we can change their behavior. And as a collective, we can do that by, you know, I mean, it's like we see all these Karens walking into stores and screaming and shouting. And I know people are making their best efforts to quiet them or stop them from creating a violent situation but again trump came in he turned everything upside down he made those people feel as if they could do it but i think our job as a collective now is to not accept it you know i mean it 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 sounds i don't know it sounds complicated it sounds simple it sounds but but really yeah we 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 can do it so i okay i i I promise I'm getting ready to take this on a walk, but I promise I'm going to bring it back and tie it into a knot. I promise. <laughs> okay. So first off, I, I, whenever I talk to people about Twitter or social media, and, and do not get me wrong, I built my platform on Twitter. It right. has been really, really important for me. I try and use it in the right way. But when I describe it to people, I describe it as sort of a, 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 a graveyard. Almost. And it's this place where we go and and it's sort of this artificial reality where we try and handle our problems by talking about them, but then nothing changes. And, you know, like it and we'll, we'll say what the problem is or we'll say what's upsetting us. And it doesn't matter how many retweets. It doesn't matter how many likes we get. It doesn't matter how many impressions there are. It doesn't change the world necessarily. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it's like a pinball machine. There's no final score. You know, there's no end boss where you win the pinball game. Mm -hmm. It just goes on and on and on. Um, That has created and this is a standing problem, particularly on the left. The left has felt moralist and without a final direction in for for decades now. Um, a large part of that, I read an interesting book and I can't remember the name of it right now, but, uh, I read a book not too long ago and it was about how the failure of leftist projects, particularly in like the Soviet union and, you know, with these movements that we've seen over the past few decades has sort of left the left with the idea that it's hopeless, Mm -hmm. that there's absolutely nothing that could be done that wouldn't go wrong or that could possibly work. And so there's sort of, um, there's sort of a malaise Mm -hmm. there. There's a real fear that there's nothing that we could possibly do. Another part of the problem is that the construction of our current economic and power structure intentionally tries to tell everyone nothing could possibly ever improve. Mm -hmm. Nothing could change. Nothing could ever be reformed. Nothing could ever be better. Just shut up and be happy that you have what you have. Mm -hmm. Just take care of that and you'll be, you'll be fine. Just don't worry about it. Um, All of those things are intentional, but what you just said is exactly right. Things can change Mm -hmm. in massive ways. And what I'm discovering, particularly working on the project that I'm working on right now, is that what needs to happen for there to be change is for there to be a groundswell 
of change in thought. Mm -hmm. There needs to be a moment where people suddenly realize, oh, there's a lot of us. And all we have to do is recognize that we could do things differently. Mm -hmm. And if you do things differently, all of a sudden, uh, the, the, the sort of the parts of history that seem immovable start to change very, very quickly. Um, just a couple of examples, and this is important. Um, like when the printing press first came around, that gave way to the Reformation. All of a sudden, people started believing in a different sort of, of a way of looking at the world. Mm-hmm. And so you had the Reformation, and all of a sudden, everything about civilization sort of shifts. Hmm. And changes simply because ideas start changing and people start thinking about the same thing. Um, I was looking at the American Revolution and what led to it. Um, The thing that we don't really learn about that much is it was more or less an effect of propaganda in newspapers. Hmm. It was a lot of articles and a lot of opinion pieces that hit with people, particularly as they proliferated through the colonies and made people believe in the possibility of a new world. Hmm. And they came to the decision that they could, you know, quote unquote, start the world anew. Mm-hmm. Um, the truth is we're waiting for a spark. Yes. We're we're waiting for some kind of a vision. And this is the frightening thing. And I'll, 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 I'll go ahead and tie the bow with this. The frightening thing is that we are on the cusp of something. Mm-hmm. Um, this era that we've known is going to change and it's going to give way to something new. There are three visions currently for it. The first vision is white supremacy and neo-fascism, and their idea is to go ahead and rewind us back to the days of serfdoms mm-hmm. and, and you know, kings, more or less. Yeah. The second version of it is what I would call is the, uh, the Chinese dystopia, which is a country or a world that is ruled by surveillance and sort of quiet and occasionally loud oppression. Mm-hmm. Right. Where you're kept track of constantly and algorithms sort of make sure that you do what the state or the power wants. Facebook cannot be reached for comment, by the way. <laughs> right. The third is and this is and I promise you, I'm not joking about this. This is completely real. This isn't tinfoil hat bullshit. It's, it's real. The third solution that is currently on the table is that (laughs) eventually big tech will develop a wonderful virtual reality where we can all have our fantasies and just (laughs) let them rule the world. And we'll just get out of the way. We'll all be able to be Superman or a sports star or whatever it is that we want out of virtual reality, and we'll leave the world to them. And by the way, that also includes them leaving the earth and just letting us, you know, (laughs) be drowned. Yeah. The question is... Will the left or will progress and people who are interested in progress figure out an alternative vision? Yeah. And Which, it's yeah, not there yet. Be, yeah, and we need that. And the question is, if it if we can get there, can we get there before those other competing uh, nightmarish mm-hmm. visions uh, win out? Wow. Wow. Well, you know, okay, That that's a lot. And yeah, we, we do need a spark and we need some, I think I, it would take whether it's a group of people or one person who has a lot of charisma or influence or whatever, who's able to inspire to maybe come up with something like that and, and get everybody think, I don't know if it'd be a person or a specific incident or something, an event, but okay. Now, so this, this, this kind of makes my last question to you. Um, I don't know what the word is, but I guess you can figure it out. Because 
okay, I know your I think your overall sense of what's going on is fairly similar to mine. I think you have a broader understanding of it and and I almost don't want that understanding of it because I don't know if I'd ever <laughs> sleep, but um <laughs> but obviously, uh, you know, both of us I I think many of us can say Biden was not our first choice. Um but as you said earlier, he's more progressive than so many of us expected him to be. And I'm grateful for that. I mean, I, you know, I, I know that he I, I understand that he wants to work with Republicans and I don't think it's a mistake for him to do that as long as he and he's proving that he's not going to bow to them. But it's like if he can't, then screw it. He'll just go figure out a way to do it. But it would be nicer if we could, because there are still some of those people in the Republican Party who are willing to work with Democrats. They're far and few between, but they're there. I mean, some of them voted for this new relief bill. They voted for the Equal Rights Amendment. So they, they, they exist. Um, and there's probably more of them than we know, but they have to listen to McConnell and they have to listen to their own party leaders and follow, you know, follow those directions and orders in order to get reelected or whatever. But so my question to you on this is that, okay, so in the overall sense, uh, right now we've got Biden and we're happy about that. And I'm grateful to hear that there are more of us than there are of white supremacists, but you know, that doesn't necessarily mean we're safe from anything. So as far as what's happening politically right now in this country with the legislation that's going down we're still very early into biden's presidency how do you think this is going to play out in the long run and specifically in and i don't care if it's too early in 22 and 24 because they are closer than we think <laughs> no they absolutely are um i will say in in 22 there's a decision and and i think history sort of bores this out and shows us the example um the question is whether or not the biden administration is going to go big mm -hmm. that's the question um history tells us that if they don't go big and i'm talking fdr big right i'm I, i'm i'm talking i'm talking massive societal changing policies yeah. and efforts um if they do not go big and if they do not make the argument that the Republican Party is not just destructive, but an existential crisis. And, you know, that really has to be put out there, mm -hmm. that there is a real danger on the right right now. And, and maybe there are some people who have consciences that are still sort of swimming in that, you know, putrid ocean. Yeah. But you have to make the point of what it is, because, only, you know, if we continue talking about politics as usual um, and we don't go big, 2022 yeah. will result in possibly not just losing the Senate, but the House. <laughs> and and from there, I mean, you, you know as well as I do. Yeah. Like if that were to happen, I mean, it would mean an almost immediate impeachment mm -hmm. um, for whatever. We don't even have to have a reason. Right. right? It, it can just be made up. Yeah. Um, the question is whether or not I'll go big. 24, I'm, I'm not sure yet, but I, I would go ahead and I would say a couple things on this to put this on people's radar because I think it's important. One, um, I don't, I don't, I don't subscribe to the great man of history philosophy, the idea that one individual is going to be the one that changes everything. Mm -hmm. Because when you actually look at those people, you realize that there are so many unsung people mm -hmm. behind them and mm -hmm. movements and philosophies and moments that have made it possible for things to happen. And it discounts a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Um, we also have major presidents and we have minor presidents. Sure. We have presidents that are like, historically quote-unquote effective or powerful and then others that you know when it comes time to name all the presidents they kind of get left off the list yeah um you know 
Biden could possibly be a major president, particularly if he figures out something that could some sort of major project that could possibly de-radicalize a lot of America. Mm-hmm. And that would hmm. that would inquire investing in um, material conditions. And, you know, going back to FDR, we had a real fascist movement in this country. We had a lot of people who were considering joining the Nazis or the fascists. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that kept them from doing that was we put them on a train and sent them out west and had them make parks, wow. you know, and, and suddenly gave them something to do and mm-hmm. something to believe in. Um, we could make a major difference. Yeah, we really, really could. The question is whether or not this moment is going to be seen as like a quick breath in between Trump and something worse, mm-hmm. or was it the moment that the fever broke? Wow. And yeah. I would really, really much rather it be the latter. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna actually go against my Debbie Downer position and say I'm I'm kind of hopeful. Because I, I, I think Biden could be a major president. And the reason I say that is because of what he's done so far. And then I think that, you know, he's wanted this for a long time. And I, I, he was Obama's vice president. And he watched what happened to Obama. He watched how the Republican Party treated him. And he understands exactly who they are. I, I don't think that he's the kind of person who, although wants to have bipartisan bills, isn't he's not the one who's going to lay down you know i think i think obama understood being a black president had a lot of responsibility and while he's been criticized and some of that criticism i agree with i'm I'm just going to go along with obama and say he needed to just like a, a woman would have the same exact situation one little fuck up and then that's it we can't have a black president that's it we can't have a woman president and so I think that he might have played it a little safe, but I think that he did it to protect the reputation so that another black person could win. And and, and I think that, you know, Joe Biden saw all of that. And I'm very hopeful. I'm going to I'm going to hope and go with that hopeful thought that, you know, he understands that and that he's going to go big so that it is so obvious to voters what the choices are especially in 2022, uh, 2022, because I freak out about that. I try not to, but, you know, I, I still do. So, um, But I just want to say, number one, thank you for being on the show. I love talking to you because you're just – you've got such a broad understanding of things, and your mind is so great, so I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate that because I feel a lot of times like my mind is not that great. So no, that, it's that very great. Very <laughs> it's very, 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 very sincere. I mean that, and I know that my listeners love you, and so thank you um, for coming on the show. Before you go, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? Yeah. Uh, so unfortunately, one of my main havens right now is Twitter. I'm at JY Sexton. And if people are interested, I uh, co-host the Muckrake podcast, M-U-C-K-R-A-K-E. Cool. Okay. Well, then um, I'm putting your links in the Patreon description of the show. Don't forget, I'm at also at Twitter, which is author Kimberly, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y. Don't forget that E. And you can find all my books. One of them is on teen abortion at Amazon under my name. So, you know, I like reviews and I know you are an author too. And so check out Jared's books and his podcast. And if you like him, give him good reviews because we all need those good reviews. But thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jared. Thank you. You're the best. You take care. Bye-bye.
There's finally good news on the horizon. Vaccinations are increasing, and if we're smart, the end of the pandemic could be just months away. But between now and then, it's more important than ever to be careful. People are doing more traveling and socializing as they feel risks are diminishing. So having the right mask, the best mask to get you past the finish line is absolutely essential. And now, the New Deal Shop.com has the gold standard N95 masks. These are NIO. SHN95 masks. They have the best fit with headband straps, they're FDA authorized, and they meet the strictest, most reliable standard for masks on the market. These N95 masks come in a box of 20 and they ship free immediately. Maybe you know someone who has plans for traveling or getting together with family at spring break. If so, these N95 masks are an essential part of that plan. Go to the newdealshop.com. That's the newdealshop.com. Get N95 masks with free immediate shipping. There's a small supply in stock shipping now. Go to the newdealshop.com and get your N95 masks.